You know, I'm so grateful to this church family uh, in so many ways. I just got back from a three-day trip to North Carolina, got in past midnight last night. Um, I got delayed in an airport and was stranded for six hours. That is horrible, being in an airport. And I was so tired, I just wanted to go to bed. And all the, everything shut down at six in the airport. Go figure. I've never been to an airport like Raleigh that shut down. And I'm like, literally, six o'clock on, there's nothing to do except go to an outlet and charge your phone and just call people and things like that. When you're exhausted and want to just fall asleep, I just was like, oh. But God didn't pass midnight. But these three days, we meet with church leaders all across America that are pursuing the way of Christ and the apostles. They're all going after first principles of faith, trying to live their faith in authenticity and I'm telling you, folks, I am so grateful for you. You are becoming a showcase of God's handiwork. And, you know, like, you cherish the Holy Spirit, and you live after the Word of God. That is outstanding. You pursue the way of Christ and the apostles. You know, you pursue the first principles of faith. You establish your hearts, your minds in the Word. You've returned to God and the abundant life that's portrayed in the book of Acts. I mean, this is an example. Like, all generations coming together, families, whole households coming to the Lord, serving Him with all their hearts. You know, you've acknowledged God as your source, and you're responding obediently to honoring Him with your finances, your talents, and time. Now, even though I'm appreciating this, the truth is we are the winners for doing all these things. We're the ones getting return from God and blessing that blows our minds away. We are seeing the greatness of God released in our midst. God. And leaders, this is for all those leaders, those senior leaders in this place. You have taken a bold stand for truth, for authenticity, for genuine Christian life. Even in the face of adversity and persecution, you seek to preserve the genuine Christianity and you seek to honor God with your lives. You know, when Josiah said we're we're affecting far more than this place, I think number one is our witness will in the coming years affect many, many nations across the earth. I'm telling you, folks, the way you live in community, as the, the church, the authentic church of Christ, is going to impact nations all across the world. And then also, even right now, our giving, one of our main mission um, things that we support is Build International. Right now, they are affecting 46 nations. Networks of churches, not five churches, but we're talking thousands of churches, networks, of all the churches in India are involved in build. 70%. You know how much the population of India is? It's one of the epicenters. Do you realize four of the five Chinese dynasties of the underground church are involved in build? We're talking millions of people. Millions. And this is, this is why we support them so heavily, because I don't know of even one mission organization that is achieving this kind of result with a whole theology of the church as central, 
And the way of Christ, the apostles, returning back to the book of Acts, most of these people in India and China are filled with the Holy Ghost and seeing multiplication and miracles and movings of the Spirit and salvations at the same time being grounded in the Word of God and, and applying their lives. You should see these Chinese underground church people and how they approach first principles. You think the crossing is strict. These people are like saying to pastors of networks of hundreds of churches, you have not done well enough. Come back next time. Trying to like go through the teaching the first principles for their hundreds of churches. And we had Chinese people one of the last time come, Chinese leaders. We're talking people in oversight of hundreds of thousands, if not millions of souls in their movement. And they're telling us how they conduct training leaders in the first principles. And I was just like, whoa, I think if we implemented that crossing, we'd probably have five people left. I mean, they're ruthless. It's like militant. It's like, you have not done well. You have not demonstrated the application of these first principles of faith in your life. Come back next time in three months. Try harder. Like, I'm not joking. It's intense. But they are seeing the power of God in a way that we are not. I want to just... I want to talk today, I want to talk third message on coming back to the basics. And I want to talk about the great return. And we'll talk about what that means in a little bit here. But I want to start with this whole premise, which needs to undergird everything we're hearing today. Isaiah 55, 8-9, Amplified. For my thoughts, says the Lord, are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. The ways of God are far above the ways of man. And if you don't get this in your minds, in your hearts, and have it undergird everything we discuss today, you're going to operate on a humanistic, rationalistic, empirical plane alone. And I'm telling you, we do not understand God. We have gotten a little bit of grasp of who he is and how he operates from reading his word and seeing him interact with his people. But we are, we're like wading in our toes in the waters of who God is and his nature. And if you don't realize that, then you've, you're lost because you think you've arrived and you think you've attained this great understanding of Christendom. And we're so deficient in living the abundant life that God has provided through His Son, Christ. I've questioned many times why about all kinds of things, situations, circumstances, losses. I've questioned God's dealing with man, wondering, Lord, can you take this person deeper into chastisement and discipline and trial? They're not going to make it. You know, I'm coaching God. Are you sure they're not going to snap? You know, and a couple weeks ago, if you remember, it's been a while. We've had a lot happen. But I said I couldn't imagine being mad at God. Now, some of you in your shallow, face value, proud, critical nature may have thought it was because I have not faced much difficulty injustice, pain, or trial. 
You, my friend, are ignorant and arrogant. That is the simple truth. Childhood near-death trauma, mental, physical abuse, parental divorce, long-term bullying, loss of loved ones, sexual perversion, drugs, unforgiveness, anger, murderous thoughts. Yeah, can you believe it? Depression, suicidal thoughts. You need to consider the context of what I was saying. I tied being mad at God with judging his nature. Question about why are fine. Life is riddled with sin and Satan, the wicked God of this age. It's complex with the effects of sin and, and disobedience. It's murky in that we live in the now, but not yet of the culmination of the ages. Questions about why are fine. It is when you judge God and his nature that you run into serious problems. Consider Job. He lost his wife. He lost his children. He lost all his possessions. He lost his reputation. Even with his friends. But he refused to curse or judge God. The worst he did was curse the day he was born. He refused to judge God. He declared God, in spite of losing his wife, his children, his possessions, his friends, being ridiculed by his friends, you must be in sin. He said, I will not curse God. He is good. God's determined to draw all men to himself and save them from the slavery of sin and death, leading to eternal judgment. We read in Amos 4, one, listen to this. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan and Mount Samaria, you women who oppress the poor and crush the needy, who say to their husbands, bring us more drink. The Lord God is sworn by his holiness. Behold, the days are coming when you will be taken away with hooks and your posterity with fish hooks. You will go out through broken walls, each one straight ahead of her. And you will be cast out toward harmony. Can you imagine, instead of a scene like today, our whole church being round up and walked through broken walls. And instead of Rob with his son, it's Rob with a fish hook and his sons behind him. I want you to consider this happened. It's not some story in the Bible. These are the children of God that were led into judgment because they refused to repent. Verse 4, go to Bethel and transgress, rebel even more at Gilgal. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days. See, they were doing all the right things. But they were rebelling and turning against God. Offer leavened bread as a thank offering and loudly proclaim your free will offerings, for that is what you children of Israel love to do. I mean... We could replace that with, and that is what you children of Christianity love to do. This is intense, but don't worry. We're not going to say, okay, well, be blessed. Go home now. We are going to, we're going to end somewhere, but you got to realize the gravity of this situation. Like, it happened, folks, and it is happening now in the church of God. 
I beset all your cities, the Lord said, with cleanness of teeth. It's not a good thing. And all your towns with lack of bread. They're clean because there's no food. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I also withheld the rain from you. When the harvest was three months away, I sent one rain on one city, but you withheld it from the other cities. You're selfish, your self-preservation, self-centeredness. One field received rain, another yet withered. People staggered from city to city for water to drink. But they were not satisfied, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I struck you with blight and mildew in your growing gardens and vineyards. Locusts devoured your fig and olive trees, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I sent plagues among you like those of Egypt. I killed your young men with the sword along with your captured horses. I filled your nostrils with the stench of your camp, yet you did not return to me. Now remember, what is he asking? He's asking for the people to return to him from the slavery of sin and death that would destroy them, not for 10 years, for eternity. God was saying, like, listen, you don't know what you are giving away. You're giving your whole eternity away for this wisp. Return to me. I will do everything I can. I will nearly crush you to get you to save, be saved for eternity. You're like, that's not loving. Yeah? You want to give your own children one day of sickness instead of 10 years? I don't know about you. I'll take it. One bad day to save them from 10 years of torment. I'll, I'll take that. We are so soulish people. We are so soulish that we've forgotten the word of the Lord. We don't even know who God is because of our own opinions. Well, I don't think that. Why? Show me in Scripture. Well, I don't know. It just can't be possible. Yeah, open your eyes. Be awakened. The dawn is rising. You know, he is alive, and he is who he is. He's not living to please us, I'll tell you that. Some of you, I overthrew as I overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, and you were like a firebrand snatched from a blaze, yet you didn't return to me, declares the Lord. Therefore, that is what I will do to you, O Israel. And since I will do this to you, prepare to meet your God, O Israel. For behold, listen to this like Job-like like language from the same story. For behold, he who forms the mountains and creates the wind and reveals his thoughts to man, who turns the dawn to darkness and strides on the height of the earth, the Lord, the God of hosts, is his name. I'm brought back last week to that, or last time I spoke with that Jonathan Goforth quote. It says, if revival is being from, withheld from us, notice it's not you, it's us. Okay? Community. Plural. We have to get out of our individualistic thinking and think that you can do what you want in your life and it won't affect anybody. As a child of God, you are called into this thing called the body of Christ, a living organism, an expression of Christ on this earth. You are called in. You affect all of us. Amen. Preach it. If revival is being withheld from us, it, has become some, it is because some idol 
remains still enthroned. Because we still insist in placing our reliance on human schemes. Because we still refuse to face the unchangeable truth that it is not by might nor power, but by my spirit. This is exactly what Crystal was talking about in worship, exhorting us in. This whole thing is in community context. And so I want to talk, the great return is a sweeping repentance through the body of Christ that revival may come. Now you say, oh, but we've had repentance, hallelujah. He set me free of drugs. What about your pride? What about your hidden stuff? What about your pathetic attitudes of individualism and rationalism and humanism? And depending on yourself rather than the spirit of the living God. I want to read a little out of Joshua 5 here. Why repentance? It came when all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard how the Lord had dried up the waters. Remember? That great exile, right, from Egypt. God stood there. Moses was sunk with all his, all his nation. And he's standing at the waters, and there's chariots starting to flood in. And he goes, what do I do, Lord? Did you lead us out here to kill us? He said, put your staff in the water. He puts his staff in the water, and the whole sea opens up. A channel all the way through with massive walls of water on each side. And he says, walk through. Right after this, right, the enemies heard how the God of Israel dried up until the Israelites have crossed and their hearts melted. There was no spirit in them any longer because of the sons of Israel. Verse 2, at that time, the Lord said to Joshua, now, this is right after a massive victory. They've been delivered from sin and death, Egypt, slavery, captivity. He said, make for yourself flint knives and circumcise again the sons of Israel the second time. So Joshua himself made himself flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gibeah Haraloth. This is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the people who came out of Egypt who were males, all the men of war died. Remember that? They disobeyed God, and God said, you won't make it into the promised land, you disobedient people. I will kill off this whole generation, and he did. They died in captivity of the wilderness. For all the people who came out were circumcised. But all the people who were born in the wilderness along the way as they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the sons of Israel walked 40 years in the in the wilderness, until all the nation, that is the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not listen to the voice of the Lord. Their children who, he, children who he raised up in their place, Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised along the way. So in this place of disobedience, even after they were judged for disobeying, they continued to disobey because we read in Genesis that If you were not circumcised, you had no place as a child of God. It was symbolic, even to us today, of cutting off all the old man, the flesh, the bad part of who we are, and and having a sign marked in our body that says, 
I have been recreated and committed to follow God. Now, when they had finished circumcising the nation, isn't that crazy? That would be like, you know, wow. I mean, really, if you just have a picture in your mind like me, I'm very graphic, and just imagine a whole nation of men being circumcised in public. This was not like, come behind the tent here. This was like, this is like, um, we shall dedicate ourselves to the Lord. And they didn't have surgical knives. You know, they had these, like, sharp, rocky flint things. Can you imagine just taking I mean, listen, you gotta, you got to get the right story here. The whole nation. They remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. Amen. Hallelujah. Then the Lord said to Joshua, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the name of place today is called Gilgal. Repentance and forgiveness. See, a whole nation experienced victory and faced entering into the promise. And what did God have them do? Consecrate their hearts through circumcision to enter in fully committed and dedicated to God. Meaning, the things for the past 40 years that were wrong are made right. You know, so many Christians are like, well, it's in the past. It is what it is now. No. Deal with it and make it right. Now. Restart things fresh by repenting in a community context. You're like, but I have my own, I repented. I, I, I have my own relationship with God. It, it's not biblical. Everything we're talking about now is public repentance. It's a place of saying to your, you know, confess your sins to one another. Why is that? It's not, it's not just for you. It's for everybody. We walk in this place of healing and forgiveness as a community. And all through repentance, all the old attitudes and baggage that people carry because they saw other people sin, they're washed away because they're like, they repented. Oh, I love them. My heart is full. They're joined back together with God. I can celebrate them as children in our family. We have such a distorted view of what repentance is. Because we're self-preservationists. We care more about preserving our own self than we do our relationship with God and his people. While the sons of Israel camped at Gilgal, they observed the Passover, and it keeps going down. And this wonderful thing happened. They were taking unleavened bread, provision, manna from the Lord. And then when they came into this place where they had recovered from their repentance, and they started, the manna ceased. And now they started stewarding from the land their own provisions. And this is a principle, folks. Like, when you, when you learn to trust God, then he will trust you to stewarding his work and resources. If you can't trust God with your life, he will not allow you to steward his resources and his, his work. He wants to first say, if you really trust me, 
Because I'm not going to give you my stuff to, to oversee and steward if you can't steward your own heart and trust me. This is what all this, like this season we're in of, of wealth and, um, you know, stewarding and giving to God and, and having this right working relationship and flow between you, us and God. It's all about demonstrating trust to be able to walk into sons and daughters stewarding his father's affairs. And I'll tell you, if you think you've arrived at a full stewardship of his affairs, like even the ones who have prospered the most in this season of giving to God and receiving back, and you're like, whoa, this works. Like he really does love me, and he really does want to partner with me to fund the gospel across the nations. It's nothing like it's going to be. I'm telling you, the incredible places that God is going to bring us to receive wealth, not for an escalade, but to fund the gospel across the nations because it's God-empowered and God-fueled. It is going to blow your minds away. The wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous. It's because people have learned to trust the Lord and he's like, ah, you're willing to trust me with everything in your life. Now I will trust you with everything in my kingdom. Now it came to pass about when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, a man was standing opposite him with a sword drawn in his hand. Joshua went to him and said, are you for us or our adversaries? He said, no. Rather, I indeed come now as captain of the Lord of hosts. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and bowed down and said to him, What has my Lord to say to his servant? And the captain said, Remove your sandals, sir, from your feet. For the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. And my point of this is obedience in community. These aren't individual little, little like in your closet type stuff. We're still playing around on the realm of individualism. And we think, wow, we're so mature. No, you're mature when you learn to function as the body of Christ and release the manifold wisdom of God to the principalities and powers and the nations. And you contend with demonic strongholds. Then you're mature. Not when you've just learned to pray and feel the presence in your prayer closet. That's like diaper stuff, 101. Like, I'm so glad for you. We don't have to change your diaper. You can actually go to God now. Way to go. But now there's a place where you enter into a mature stance of posturing yourself and letting you become a wall of living stones. And then we enter into corporate things where when we obey God in community, it leads to encounter where God goes before you. The army, the angel army of the Lord stands and says, get down in your face. I've seen you come together and seek the Lord. I'm here now to advance this battle. And we go before him. And we wrestle not against flesh and blood. I'm talking about spiritual principalities. I'm talking about seeing injustice and oppression stripped off whole people groups because we obey God and we begin to release his spirit and the army, the captain of the army, the Lord shows up and says, get on your faces. I'm ready to deliver thousands of souls right now. Pay attention. 
Notice this whole narrative was in the context of community, not isolated, detached life. Beware of the dark, demonic forces of humanism, rationalization, individualism, self-centeredness, pride, self-reliance, worldliness, control. God has an agenda to bring the solitary into family. You know, like that, we are so individualistic, we think that whole parable of the, the, the sheep is about Jesus leaving the 99 to go get the one. Now, he did leave the 99 to get the one, but we say, oh, see, he cares more about one soul than he does the whole batch. That is a lie. Jesus cares about every single human being. And the shepherd left them because they were safe. And they went and went after that one to bring that one back into family. He didn't sit in the field in a back dark forest and say, oh, my little sheep, I am so glad I left everybody to just come with you, my precious. It's so hard. I came out here because I wanted to rescue you. I love you. You're so good. You're more important to me than everything else. But no, that's how we feel in the American church. I'm so important to God. He cares more for me than anything. Not more than his holiness and his nature. He will decimate you if it comes to that or his perfection. can't substitute anything for obedience. And remember, I'm talking about corporate. A.W. Tozer said, have you noticed how much praying for revival has been going on of late and how little revival has resulted? I believe the problems that we've been trying to substitute praying for obeying. And it simply will not work. It's not that the praying's bad. It's necessary. It's essential. But we want to do all the right things just like they did in Amos. Bring the tithes. Pray. Read your Bible. Say all the right things. And God's like, your heart is so far from me. You don't embody anything of who I am. Beyond all that stuff, you are still in the core a self-centered, self focused, self-absorbed idol worshiper. <laughs> Can you tell we're not seeker sensitive? <laughs> Why? Because we could build a 2,000-member church and all go to hell together. Wow, would I be a star then? <laughs> Gnashing of teeth and people saying, if I ever get to the other side of hell, son, I will kill you. You held the truth. You placated us with empty promises. I want to be part of a body. I don't care how big it is that when we get there, they're like, hey, thanks, Sean. You got me here too. Thanks, Sean. That could be any of you. That could be Josiah, Steve, Dave, Wes, 
any of you who are leading the charge unashamedly of truth and power. Now, all of this happens that, you know, I want to read right here out of uh, Acts 3. Because the whole heart of God is not to shame you. The whole heart of God is not to lay burdens on you. It is to draw you and to back to returning to him. Like he loves you, but he doesn't love you at the expense of your unrepentant sin. Of your, you can say all the right things. You've got to hear me. It's about your heart. And you're so deceived you don't know your own heart. And that's the beauty of community. It's people saying, not one person, but ten people saying, you need to change. Listen to what it says in Acts 3. Now, Peter and John, I'm going to summarize, but they were, they were going to worship at the temple, and they went back past this man who had been unable to walk from birth and was being carried along, who sat down every day of the gate, which was called Beautiful. So at this beautiful place, a crippled person was begging for bread. And they knew him well because they passed him every day begging for alms. So when he saw Peter and John, he began asking them for coins. But Peter, along with John, and I, I'm telling you, I, I think they had plenty of coins in their pocket. But he stared intently at this man and said, look at us. And the man began to pay attention, expecting to receive something. And Peter said, silver and gold I do not have. But what I do have, I give to you in the name, authority, and power of Jesus Christ, the Nazareth. Begin now to walk and go on walking. Then he seized the man's right hand with a firm grip and raised him up. And at once his feet and ankles became strong and steady. And with a leap he stood up and began to walk. And he went into the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And everyone saw this, this beggar for coins at the beautiful gate. Now, while he was still holding on to Peter and John, all the people, utterly amazed, ran together and crowded. And seeing Peter said, they were all basically bowing down to them. Because, oh, you are, you are exceptional. Maybe you're angels. Maybe you're God's. Everybody was astounded, and Peter looked right at them. Here's someone who's been repentant. Said to the people, you men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Why are you staring at us? As though by our own power or godliness we have made this man walk. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant and son, Jesus, doing him this honor, the one who handed over and disowned, that you disowned and rejected before Pilate, when they decided to release him. But you disowned and denied the holy and righteous one and asked for the pardon of a murderer to be granted to you. But you killed the prince, the author, the originator, the source of life, whom God raised bodily from the dead. To this fact we are witnesses. And the basis of faith in his name, it is the name of Jesus, which has strengthened this man who you see and know. And the faith which comes through him has been given to perfect health and complete wholeness in his presence. Now, brothers, I know that you've acted in ignorance. I'm just going to keep going. 
um, he foretold by the mouth of the prophets, prophets that this Christ would suffer. And here's his charge. This is for us today. So repent. Change your inner self. Your old way of thinking. Your regret for past sins. And return. Repent and return to God to seek the purpose of your life. And folks, you can't just, you don't get the purpose of your life by just hearing God in prayer. You get it by seeking the scriptures and aligning your whole perceptions to the way he works. And by the way, he doesn't work different in business or in recreation or in your family. God is one God that works through all, in all, by all, because his nature remains unchanging. Be one person, folks, in everything you do. One person. And walk in obedience to God and repentance to God. So that your sins may be wiped away, blotted out, completely erased. So that times of refreshing may come from the presence of God, restoring you like a cool wind on a hot day. And that he may send to you Jesus the Christ, who he has appointed to you, whom heaven and earth must keep until the name of complete restoration of all things. And it ends in 26. It was for the first of all that God raises up the servant and son and sent him to bless you by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. We can have the worship team come up. I want to sing that song, Amen, like uh, Lord bless you and keep you, if you can come up and just start playing that. But I want to give an opportunity. Listen, I, I felt like the Lord, just please, please keep focused here. I feel like I'm supposed to give a platform, so just stay, guys, just be real easy, quiet here, because I feel like this is a, a chance for some of you to come forward and repent, short, sweet, because I believe God spoke to me that when there's repentance and when you come in the context of community and repent and just share your heart that reproach will be stripped away and you will be thrust into the season of promise and blessing. And I want to allow this. So as we worship, I want you to not spectate but worship and then come forward and begin to release repentance. Come on, let's just, let's stand and ask him to come and come and just stand before him and just say, Lord, here I am. Circumcise my heart. I pray for this, that you would come and just, I pray for a whole new season. I pray that this reproach would be stripped. And I'm going to do it in the context of community as a step of faith, not as a punitive member. I want to throw it at your feet, Lord. Throw it at the feet of people and let, let all see the power of repentance in the times of refreshing, pouring out like rain and cool breeze.